Okay, everyone, we have a very close friend as our guest today. Yenzi, it was a blast catching up with him. Stuart O'Grady, the man, not the myth. Um, what do you think? It was so good to catch up with him. I mean, he's always good for a nice chat and for a good laugh. And the stories, the memories we had, man, unreal. Unfortunately, we cannot take everything on tape of these memories. <laughs> but um, it was great. Like one uh, moment I had with Stewie late in our careers. Um, I'm riding tempo in the tour down under trying to catch the break because we had Bernardi as a sprinter. And then Stewie's voice behind me, he was with Green Age back then. He went, hey, Yenzi. Remember, we are 80 years together and we're still riding in front of the peloton. We're still riding tempo. <laughs> I think I was 41, Stewie was 39 back then. He said, yeah, man, us together, we're 80 years of age, but we're still riding at the front. One of million great moments with Stewie. Yeah, he was in the peloton a long time, did a lot of great things. I think everyone that raced with him had great memories. So please sit back and relax and enjoy our conversation with Stuart O'Grady. All right. Welcome, Stuart O'Grady, to Bobby and Jens. G'day, guys. How are you? Doing good, doing good. But, you know, I'm having a hard time, you know, to us, you're Stewie. But to the world, I'm not sure. Do I have to call you Mr. O'Grady now? <laughs> um, you know, legend of the sport, race director of the Tour Down Under. Um, is it okay that we call you Stewie on the pod today? It's still me, mate. Nothing's changed. Just, just a, just a slightly different job description. <laughs> but it's still know, me. But like, you're so professional now. You know, you're on time for the podcast. You're, you know, sending questions. You even created a little WhatsApp group between you, me, and Jens. I mean, dang, you're like Mister Organization these days. Just comes second nature, you, huh? You gotta be. You gotta be. I mean, um, plus I'm jet lagged, so I kind of don't know what day it is. I don't know what time it is. <laughs> And yeah, I just like to pick across a few things before we uh, step in. But yeah, looking forward to having a chat and some fun. Yeah, tell us a little bit about your voyage from Australia to Bilbao, which is obviously where you are now for the yeah. start of the Tour de France. Yeah, it was a long one, Bobby. I um, jumped on a Singapore Airlines flight 9 a.m. Sunday morning um, and had a bit of a stopover in Singapore. And then on the ticket, it said Singapore, Barcelona. So I thought, okay, that's pretty good. Um, but I didn't see in the little writing down the bottom, stop over in Milan. So I had a quick coffee in Milan. <laughs> and um, and then found myself a few hours later in Barcelona and then a little stop over and finally made it to Bilbao. So here we are, ready for another Tour de France. Tour de France is the key word here. You're at the tour. I strongly presume you're not writing it. So what is your function? <laughs> why are you here? Please let our listeners, let them know why are you at yeah. the tour? Well, I'm certainly not going for number 18, Jens. I think I'd, I'd struggle to make a, finish a stage, to be honest. I'd probably struggle to write a stage. Um, no, no, we, we have a business, Moomoo Cycling, um, which uh, we're one of the official tour operators on the Tour de France. Uh, we also do Giro d'Italia, we do Spring Classics and the World Tour. Um, but yeah, it's basically just bringing guests, riders, spectators, families um, to the inner sanctum of the Tour de France. So, you know, we're fully accredited. Um, all our vehicles have stickers on them, so we get access like we're, a, like we're a team car, really. I mean, any closer to the action, we'd have a number on our back. You know, we 
every day is a different experience. Um, we'll do a stage start, which is, you know, on the start line, riding through the crowds, stop and have a picnic, watch the Peloton race by. Another day will be riding the last 30, 40, 50K of a stage, um, then up on the podium, um, and then watching it from hospitality. So every day is a different experience. But as you guys know, with our, um, you know, with all the no- names and friends in the phone, we can tap on a team bus and, uh, or catch up with guys, ride down to a hotel or, on a rest day and, and, you know, just catch up with friends. And, and that way the, the guests also get that really um, cool experience. So it's a lot of fun. I, I enjoy it. You know, I'm um, living in Australia and working on the Tour Down Under. You're kind of not part of the furniture of the Tour de France and the whole World Tour circus. So when you do come back and catch up with everyone, it's genuine. It's good to catch up and, and it's just a lot of fun. But how does that work? I mean, you're there for the whole three weeks, I assume. Um, yeah. Do do are there different tours that come in and out? Um, the logistics of that must just be insane. I mean, anyone that's been around the Tour de France, I mean, luckily you said you have those stickers and the credentials. I mean, that yeah. makes life a heck of a lot easier. But if you're like switching or turning over camps or different uh, customers, who who organizes all that? We have some cracking staff, Bobby. Certainly not me, that's for sure. (laughs) You stick to what you're good at, and that's definitely not logistics and and spreadsheets, which uh, we've got Paul back in Melbourne um, and Cisco, who's our logistics manager, and the work they do is phenomenal. Um, I think we've got 25 staff on this year's Tour de France across the three weeks. We've got eight different tours, uh, no more than 25, 30 people per group, so it's all pretty intimate um and you know well packaged and we have a lot of great staff a lot of european staff so yeah look it's a, it's a massive um it, it's like running a, a small team to be honest uh we have ride guides and you know it's the priority is just keeping everyone safe but at the end of the day it's a once in a lifetime experience so um you know we want to make sure everyone has a time of their life so stewie now i expect an honest answer you're back at the tour de france Three and a half thousand kilometers ahead of you, including the Tourmalet. And you go, oh, yes, hell yeah, hell yeah. Or you go rolling your eyes and go, oh, no, not again, this one. Well, what, what is it for you? How do you feel about the distance, the mountains, the Alps? Yeah, look, it, well, it's, it's easy, ends because most of it we do on the side of the road or in a van. You know, I mean, you, you ride certain sections. This isn't all about the riding. It's about the whole experience, and I think that's one of the key messages. This isn't a training camp. You know, you're not here to rock, smash yourself um, over five hours. This is about just taking the, the best bits of the Tour de France and packaging them up nicely and delivering on a nice silver plate. So it's about the food, the wine, the experience of you know riding up the Tourmalade. Um, but we'll we'll just probably start at the bottom and just ride that one climb, and then at the top we're in VIP hospitality, having a drink and watching it. So you know. And you go as hard or as fast as you want. Um, you know, we stay as a group, but then once we do hit a big climb, you know, the gloves are off. You can go and try and beat the Strava record or or compare your time to the to the pros, or you or you stay with Stewie, which is a lot slower down the back. You know, waving to the van. Uh, no, it's really funny. The first time, first time I did one of these, I actually just stopped on the corner, and and your brains are going like, "Come on, you gotta go as hard as possible," but. You don't have to. You can just stop and say bonjour to all the people on the side of the road and, and have a can of Sprite and then keep going. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's um, really, you really get immersed in, in the atmosphere and 
Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the guests, it's their first time, and a lot of them, it's their first time to Europe. Um, and the same for the classics, you know, when we take them to Paris Bay, a lot of the, a lot of the guests haven't even seen a cobble before. And, you know, over the days, I teach them where to hold their hands and, uh, you know, how to hold the bars and what to do, what not to do. And, and it's a lot of fun. Well, you don't get that sort of access unless you were a legend of the sport, which you definitely are. Um, but the my, my sister texted me something the other day, just out of the blue, took took a picture, you know, showed me a picture of the, the podium of the Tour de France and said, this was 25 years ago. And I just felt like saying, <laughs> thanks, Ziz. Thanks, Robin. Like, yeah. what? Where did that come from? But your memories of, I mean, we all had great memories throughout the Tour de France. We had bad memories throughout the Tour de France. Good experiences, bad experience. But 1998 was was pretty special for for all of us, I think. But especially yourself. You know, I went through it and, you know, you started the prologue and finished uh, 15 seconds behind Chris Boardman. Then on stage one, you were 16th in a sprint. Tom Steele's won that one. Uh, stage two, you were 24th in a sprint. Jan Sferrato won that one. Stage three, you were in a breakaway and Jens Hepner slipped away right there at the end. Yeah. And stage four, you were 39th in the sprint. My buddy, my personal good friend, uh, Jerome Blylevens, um, <laughs> won, won, won that stage. And then you take the yellow on stage five. I mean, what did that mean to you? I mean, I'm sitting here with two guys had the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. I never did. I came close to a couple seconds away, but never touched yellow. What are your memories of that first time in the yellow jersey? Yeah, it was super vivid. I mean, I was uh, only my second Tour de France, and I was lucky enough to be rooming with, with Chris Boardman both occasions, um, who'd won the prologue in 97, I think, as well. In 98, we started in Dublin, and Chris rolls off and wins the prologue again, so I'm you know, rooming with someone that just keeps walking in the door and throwing them on the bed, like, you know, there's another yellow. Um, but look, you know, it just raised, it elevated this, uh, obviously the motivation and morale of the team. We had Eros Poli on the front, Monkerson in the sprints at Yens. Um, we had a really good uh, cracker of a team. And um, Chris actually crashed out. Correct me if I'm wrong, Yensy, but I'm pretty sure uh, Chris crashed out in the yellow jersey. And kind of that, left it a bit of unrest and we didn't really know what to do so uh what else do you do you go on the attack you know and you try and make up for it so yeah hopped in a couple of breaks got some bonus seconds um and then yeah a few days later with some more aggressive riding found myself in yellow jersey maybe being really upset because um struggling to think of his name the dutch guy or belgian who took the yellow jersey the day before me um yeah my fault is he we, we were in that breakaway and then um basically all i had to do was just keep the bunch together to win to win the yellow jersey and a couple i just couldn't control it it was too hard in the end and um and there was diamond i remember there was a diamond on offer and you got to meet the king uh of belgium as well which would have been a bit of a buzz uh because i just got engaged so it would have been a nice little present for Amory, but uh, missed out on everything and I was so devastated because I was sat second in the GC and, and the next day was quite a hard climbers day and I thought that was all the opportunities gone and then um, I think Mark must have had a few too many left blondes that night or maybe too many champagnes but I actually got dropped 
um, on the climbs. And I heard that over the radio, there were logs and difficulty and, and it just made, I just went through the gears and next minute I'm wearing yellow. So it was a real emotional roller coaster. Um, you know, the old saying, never give up, just hang in there and, and anything's possible. And yeah, it was a very special occasion. And then obviously, um, a bit later in the tour as well, jumped in another break and, uh, had, had a lot of, had a lot of, uh, uh, tactics there played out in the final, which again, I'll never forget, you know, you're in a breakaway all day with this bunch of guys. And then we get to within like three K of the finish, two guys, Laura Desbian and someone else went up the road and, and I'm sitting with these three other guys and I just convinced them to start working again. You know, it was just all on the fly. Um, and we managed to catch them and I won the sprint. So yeah, great memories. Um, yeah. Also, uh, some pretty crazy memories as well. And I think we had also, we had Magnus Baxter winning a stage, stage 18, I believe, in the last week. He went in a break, won a stage, so it was a great tour yeah. for us. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. It yeah, was, a, good, was tour, a good tour yeah. for us. Yeah, we're on a good roll. There, Some bad, you know, yeah. Ordman used to set that up by winning the prologue, and it just took the pressure off. I mean, we're a French team. Oh, yeah. French sponsors. Yeah. You know, anyone would die to have a, a stage winner or a yellow jersey in and I remember the stress relief every time Chris had walked in, you know, he did win that. Um, and remember, Jens, he'd be in the camper. I mean, we're campers, they're not buses, right? So, you know, he'd go in the camper and there's Chris yeah. re- reading his book in the back seat, you know, half an hour before the prologue. And, you know, we all got heavy metal blasting and running around on our 17th coffee. Um, and Chris is in the back asleep and he'd roll over, whack his helmet on and <laughs> just blitz everyone. You know, you used, to, you used to sit at the table that night going, we could pretty much just go home now. You know, we, we sponsors are happy, mm-hmm. we're all happy, and it just took the edge off. And as you know, better than anybody, you take the pressure out of the pressure cooker, and guys actually perform better. You race with freedom, um, you know, and, and you see that all the time. You see it when an old Philippe or someone wins a stage early on in the tour, and, and you know, yellow and next minute, they just win, 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 and all the other teams that haven't, they're fighting, they keep getting second, they try even harder, they burn more matches. They get more tired, you know, it's kind of uh, directors that are kind of punishing them for missing the break and they're just screwing them even more for the next day, you know, and you kind of get on the back foot. And once you're in the back foot in the Tour de France over three weeks, um, you got to be real lucky to get out of it. Yeah, I remember also it, it just boosts the confidence of every rider and the team. Everybody's just a little more relaxed, more confident, and yeah, it does help everyone. It was good to have Chris early in our career and later to have yeah. Cancellara. I mean, bloody hell, how reliable was he? I went to in <laughs> London at the team presentation, live on Trafalgar Square. Yeah, tomorrow I'm going to show him how it has to be done. And then he wins. <laughs> like, he announces it the night before, and then next day he pulls it off and wins with 20 seconds. It was yeah. good to have him in the team. And quite often I told myself, I'm so glad I'm not racing against him or I have to chase him, right? I mean, you did many of yeah. base with Fabian. It must have yeah. been good to have him there, right? I was awesome. And again, I roomed with Fabian for all that period as well. I think six years I, I shared the room with the big Swiss bear and got to see how he um, prepared and, and mentally, you know, got ready for these races. And it was, it was, it was great. I mean, it was such an experience. It's not until kind of moments like this you get to actually reflect on them because I don't see home and talk about room Chris Boardman or Fabian 21 back home, but um, mate, they were great times and, you know, they were great when you won and they were also it was a great experience, you know, when you lost. I'm not saying it was fun to, 
to lose, but you know, you, you obviously didn't win win the Perry Bay and or win Tour of Flanders every time, but the preparation was exactly the same. You know, the mental build up, the team bonding, um, you know, everyone just giving a hundred percent. That's all we ever asked for, right through CSC days and GAN days. That you know that that never changed. Respect, you know, respect was the one word I took from Bjorn Reese, and, and I've kept it through to this day with my family. You know. Um, you respect everyone around you and, and good things will happen. And great, you know, we had some good times, that's for sure. But just going down memory lane a little bit, um, you know, our viewers and our listeners, you know, the Tour de France is the biggest race in the world. There is a different energy. It, you know, you just the, going to the sign-in is like you feel so, so excited, so honored, like the hair on your arm is, is standing up. Did you, you did 17 Tour de France's. I think you and Georgine Cappy, and then the only person that did more was Sylvain Chavanel, if I remember right. Obviously, the first one, you know, I was really, really nervous about, but I still got nervous going, not nervous about the event, but you just, of course, it's just, you just want to deliver. So the priority was to rock up each year healthy, you know, just rock up and start one healthy. Um, and, you know, I had to go through a few changes as well, going from a sprinter to going to stage hunter to, you know, when I signed with Garn, he just sat me down and went, you can't sprint. You're not going for the green jersey anymore, which was my whole life. Uh, you know, I remember riding with you, Bobby, uh, you know, training. And, you know, like the only way I was going to get in the Tour de France team was to stop sprinting because it was just too dangerous. And, you know, we were going with different intentions. And, and you know, I had to make that decision. Um, which wasn't easy. Uh, it certainly wasn't easy. So, but once I'd made it, then your your full time commitment and and then you know the stress and the pressure comes with that. So I just wanted to deliver for whoever we were riding for, whether it was the Schlex or Carlos or or Fabian or Jens or, or yourself. It was just you know you just wanted to do hundred percent. So I wouldn't say nervous. You know, it's not like um, you know what's nervous sitting on an Olympic final on the track. That's nervous. Um, you know, you don't really get nervous before coming to a Tour de France. It's more, I guess, a little bit of anxiety about what lay ahead. Um, because sure, we all had some great tours, um, but also, you know, ended one or two of them in a in an ambulance and in a helicopter in one of them. So, you know, there's another element of um, uh, the anxiety and shit. It's a dangerous game. Um, you know, and, and just watching what's happened lately, you know, we're all reminded of that. And it cuts it that hits, hits home and just shows you how dangerous it is. So it's not all champagne and um, podiums, but, um, you know, for us, it was our, was our life. Um, and there was never one time where I got on the start line or, or made it to Paris and, and didn't feel the biggest sense of self-accomplishment and achievement. It was same on the first one or the same on the 17th, that riding into Paris. Um, and, yeah, just kind of nodding, giving yourself a little nod. Did it again because <laughs> uh, I never rode an easy one. And I don't know how it was for you two guys, but the lap of honor after we finished in Paris, that also never got old for me. I always had goosebumps riding on the Champs-Élysées, completely blocked for us, like in, in walking speed, you know, in sneakers. You got, you know, um, a change, got some nice, clean new jersey on. Fans are waiting for us. That was always one of the highlights for me. I don't know 
how was it for you two? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, you, you know, you had your your wife or your family there, which you hadn't probably hadn't seen for for a month, and and only for a very short time before that, because we're a tour of Switzerland and then a training camp. So, you know, the the I kind of I look back and think, how the hell did I have that level of focus and dedication? But that's what I think surprises me the most now. You know, I struggle to to grab my bike, and I won't even you know go out if it's under twenty five degrees in Australia. I'll be like, you know, find some form of excuse, but. You know, the fact we used to just get up, put your shoes on and, and get the job done, um, I'm baffled at how the mental state that we were in and what we used to put ourselves through. I think that's probably, um, you know, I can't, I still can't understand how, you know, how many times we rode it or, or you know, how hard it was um, because it was a diff, it's a bloody tough gig and the moment you kind of leave the world and, and you know, you, you click out to the, or the professional peloton for that last time, you're never ever going to be that fit again, you know. And I, and I think that's one of the things I miss. I miss I miss being that fit, um, and that's why I don't ride a lot anymore. Because it's like, what's the point? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, if I can't go up the hill on the big chain ring at whatever ten hour, I'd, then I'd probably just prefer to go for a walk um, or go down the beach with the kids, uh, you know. But yeah, it's it's just different the mindset we're in. Um, it's crazy. Talking about mindset, that just reminds me of the 2001 tour when you were in the yellow jersey, so we got to start last in the team time trial. <laughs> um, guys, I don't know about you, but that was one of the best memories I have in cycling because back then, team time trials were not 25K. That was a 67-kilometer team time trial that we did. Wow. We won it. At one hour and 21 minutes. I mean, when was the last time that you've seen a time child that long <laughs> on tour, right? But I should bring one back. Talk us a little bit through starting in the yellow jersey, last team to go off in a team time trial. And let's face it, we were not favored to win. I mean, you had US Postal, yeah. you had Onse, you had these massive teams. What are your memories yeah. of, of that day? Uh, again, pretty vivid. I mean, you know, I remember having an argument with, with Roger Leger in the morning, it was bucketing rain. I'd been in a breakaway pretty much every day before that team's time trial. I think it was stage four. Is that right? I think I can't remember, but it was pretty early on. Um, pretty sure I was in a breakaway the second day, and, and then Jens was obviously up the road, and then I was up the road again. You know, horrific conditions, freezing cold. Man, my legs were hurting. Like, I, I was hurting. And I'm in the yellow jersey, so... I think the day before we'd finished 30 minutes ahead of the peloton. So we'd actually put the whole peloton or delay. So, you know, luckily, otherwise they'd change the rules. It would have only been 13 of us riding for the next two and a half weeks, which would have been pretty boring. But I went deep in those couple of days in the build-up and my legs were so sore the morning of the team's time trial. I was, I was getting pretty worried. And then yeah, um, Roger Leger wanted us to do some, you know, warm-up team's time trials and I just remember sitting on 60k an hour in the bucketing rain you know before the start of the stage just hurting going oh my god I'm, I was actually worried I was going to get dropped I swear to god I, th- I, was, I was worried I was going to get dropped like how bad is this yellow jersey is going to get popped out the back and I'll be like crying as I get you know the camera stage with you and, and look it was just one of those days once again um once we took off from that start line, I don't think we got very below 
you know, what seemed like 55, 56k an hour um, for the majority of the ride. I remember just sitting in so close to the wheel in front of me. I was like, I don't care if I crash. Um, you know, just sitting an inch off the wheel in front, rain spitting up on the visor, couldn't see a thing, um, and just going fast. Uh, you know, maybe you're puncture Bobby, and, you know, we managed to get you back. And, yeah, you know, Tor Hushoft, um, old JV was in there. Um, it was just, it was just, a, we were going fast. And, yeah, to to upstage, obviously, Postal and Onsay, I mean, that was just pure grit and determination. And, you know, I just, I still remember vividly looking down and just seeing, you know, just the, the color, the blurred color of yellow on my shoulders. Uh, just going, you know, we just got to keep going. And, and it does. And everybody says it. It's just, it gives you another, gives you another gear on the bike. And you just, you go that bit much deeper. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was for me as well, one of the most special days I've ever had on the bike, doing it with, with my teammates in the yellow jersey, um, yeah, it's certainly a highlight for me. I can only agree to that. And remember, we were also not free of bad luck. You mentioned Bobby had a puncture, then we had another puncture with Anthony Mora, and we left him behind. We said, look, we cannot yeah. wait anymore. We need to go. So, But everything just clicked for us. Right? We had this smoothness <laughs> with him. Uh, whoever felt stronger just did a longer pull, but nobody like yeah. accelerated or slowed us down. We just... It, it, it was really a magnificent day. I know it's it's very high up in my ranking as well of one of the best moments, mm-hmm. best moments ever. It was pretty special. Yeah, and then uh, <clears throat> he gives the jersey to you, Jens. You have a day in the yellow jersey. Um, wh- why did I get left out of that? Like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I was, I was like, wait, this is going around, and and that reminds me of you know, Jens, you had the jersey a couple times in the tour as well. And, you know, we were roaming together and man, when that was draped over like the back of a chair and it was in your room, but it wasn't yours, you didn't touch it. Like I, I would walk around <laughs> it. It had like this force field. And I mean, both of you guys at one stages in the tour had the yellow jersey. Um, you know, there's a lot, I think, you know, they brought it back a little bit, but, uh, for a couple years there, they, um, changed but that lion the the credit leone lion mm. um do you still have your credit leone lions because those were worth their weight in gold back in the day yeah i still i did actually i found a whole i found an old suitcase which i stuffed them i'd actually stuffed the suitcase full of them from when we moved out of luxembourg and it had been stored away for ages and and recently it was pretty recently i'm gonna say in the last couple of years i'm like what is this old dodgy suitcase about to get thrown in the tip and open it i was like all these yellow lines burst out it was so funny um but yeah it's got a couple i don't know if i kept them all but uh, my daughter still um has one in a row they're pretty cool absolutely i think i have one just behind this wall there's one sitting somewhere on a on closet up there i think And we'll be right back after this short break. And now, back to our chat with Stewie. And um, Stewie, so now, Yellow Jersey, was that topped by your win in Paris-Roubaix? I mean, I remember that. I was fortunately for myself never selected to be part of that crazy team. (laughs) So I could watch it on TV. Best race ever to watch on TV. You got your cookie and your coffee and go, go boys, go and get him. <laughs> you just sit <laughs> on your sofa. I remember this big dust cloud. 
And then you see, hey, there's a CSE jersey. And then Fabian, no, Stewie, Stewie, it's Stewie, it's not Fabian. That was so cool. Would that be also, gotta be one of your best moments, no? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Perry Bay was, was a special one, Enzi. Um, you know, I'd, I'd ridden that race many years. And again, at the service mainly of, of Fabian or someone else. Um, but yeah, it was always a little dream in the back of my mind to, to, to get on the podium or get a good result. And, uh, in the early, early years, I had a couple of really good run ones and then punctured like deep in the final, which, you know, I look back and go, fire, that could have been, I reckon I would have been a fifth or a couple of top tens, you know, and then you one puncture and you think I was 16th and 18th or something like that. And the girl could have been, so to kind of. You know, when I was running with Fabian and when he was the team leader, it was just, you know, it was just Fabian's race and we were just his, his soldiers, really. So, you know, that day um, to, to get the, the green light from Fabian, it was a pretty warm, 27 degrees, dusty, you know, I would say hot. It was the hottest day in, in history at the time in, in France for uh, for April. Um, and, yeah, the, the uh, cycling gods aligned for me and, and, you know, I had a crash in the Arenberg. No puncture in the Arenberg and a crash a bit later on, but um, yeah, the rest uh, the rest worked out pretty good. So, you know, really the team's time trial in yellow, um, the Paris Bay 2007, and and my Olympic gold on in Athens are the three kind of real highlights of my my career. I mean, um, you know, there's a few moments every now and then, and you kind of go that that was just such a special day. Uh, and yeah, certainly Rubay. Rubay is a pretty hard one to top. I mean, that's you know, for me as a cobbled, cobbled rider for for all those years, it was just so. I'm so lucky to be able to walk in the door each day and and have that great big bloody rock, uh, which is the only trophy my wife will let me have in the house. Actually, it's the only thing cycling related in the house. So, um, yeah, just kind of give that a rub every now and then, and and shake my head. To be honest. And you kind of go, you know, did this really happen? It's like, it's like, um, you know, it was like another lifetime ago. Yeah. You know, you guys made me cry quite a bit. And <laughs> I remember Magnus winning Peru Bay, you winning Peru Bay, you know, cyclists, especially after watching the, the Netflix Unchained video, why do we cry so much? Why do we get so emotional? You know, it's supposed to be a tough man sport, but then we're all bawling like little babies and hugging each other like, you know, <laughs> boyfriend, girlfriend after the races and stuff. What do you think? It, why, do, why do we show so much emotion and, and on live TV and, you know, Netflix specials? What is it? Well, I think it's just the intensity and the buildup. I mean, that Paris Bay that was, um, you know, over six months in the making. Um, you know, when I started training 1st of November... Uh, in Australia and 1st of December, it was like, bang, it's time to, you know, flick up the gears in training. Every training ride, I was thinking of Paris Bay. Uh, and everything was just a stepping stone to that. You know, it's the last race we did for that kind of classics campaign. And it's just a build-up, you know. It was um, the racing, the tour down under. It was the hard training through summer when everyone's partying and barbecuing. You know, you're out doing five or six hours in 40 degrees. It was all for Roubaix. It was all for Flanders. Um, and you know, I think riders just invest so much and you sacrifice so much on the one occasions, on the rare occasions they do come up and, you know, you do actually win, 
um you know the emotion you don't even know the cameras are there it's it, you know it's um it's a, you're having almost an out-of-body experience i mean maddie Hayman was a great example of that i don't even think he knew he'd won um right. and, you know it's it's really weird what's you're so far in in hurt locker um you know at times it, it doesn't even seem real what's going on um you know, it is. It's like you're in a dream, dream kind of focus. Same, same kind of thing when you when you're hurting up a mountain in the Tour de France, and there's all the crowds, and uh, you know, it's just, it's like you're in a. Sometimes it's like you're in a bad movie. Actually, <laughs> it's not. A, it 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 hurts so much, but you just keep on going. I think I I would like to add two more things. Uh, one is between us three, we probably have 20 broken bones added together at least. Us three, 20 broken bones. So when then the happy end shows up, you know all the price you paid before and how hard it was. And uh, like Stu, you had a long career. You probably have done just like me, like about 1,500 races, you know, six days on the track, on the road. And, you know, we end up winning 20, 30 or 40. If you look at the pure numbers, it is terrible. 1,500 races and we end up winning 30 or 40. And that's still a good career, right? So... The, the happy moments are not that often. I think that's why we embrace them so much. I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you, you get beaten a lot, of, a lot. You get, you lose most of your career. You know, as you just stated. So, um, you know, when you think back to Fabians and those kind of guys that won consistently, I mean, we would just walk around the hotel like you know the NBA All Stars um, because you knew the chances of winning were pretty high, or he was at least going to get a podium. You know, so. Going into a race or a Tour de France, um, you know, especially those Credit Agricole days, and we didn't have a GC rider, we would just kind of throw the, you know, throw the balls on the table and see what happens. Sometimes even had teammates trying to follow you in the sprint to have a top ten, you know. So you know, you only had, not only had the rest of the guys to beat, but yeah, sometimes had um, some inside competition, you know. Um, but you know, it, it's 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 a hard world. It's a it's a tough gig, but um, yeah, certainly some some incredible race days, some great memories, some hard memories, um, some fantastic wins. I mean, it's, it's just important that we re remember those those big good wins, and we get to talk about them every now and then, like now. <laughs> so they talk about it that much. Absolutely. Um, you know the the last day of the tour is quite special, like you guys said. You know the the lap of honor. Um, sometimes you would get your friends, your wife, your kids able to follow in the car. Um, I remember I had a close family friend that jumped into the back of the car and he was just like, this is insane. Like mm. Champs-Élysées is closed. But, you know, the big parties afterwards. I mean, if you have a good tour, you have a good party. If you have a bad tour, you still have a good party, right? <laughs> One of my, I have a memory of both of you guys. One, Stewie, I think it was 2001 when you, uh, 2000, you crashed and broke your collarbone and you came to the party and you had your arm in a sling and, you know, we're sitting there and you're just kind of bopping. And I'm just like, man, he's, he's here. Like he's, he's, he's still here enjoying it, but like obviously broken collarbone, little broken wing. And Jens, after the 2001 tour, we were having our little credit agricole party. And all of a sudden this was a thing with French teams that I never participated in, never really understood, but you guys would all rip your, your shirts off <laughs> and like dance in the middle of the um, dance floor crazy per people and then 
Jens put his ripped up shirt around his head, kind of like a bandana, <laughs> and started doing push-ups Rambo, down the street, right. yelling, Adrian, Adrian. <laughs> it was such a pressure cooker. And then, you know, that little release, I think um, we all needed. But then, boom, two days later, three days later, you're doing another race and, you know, that's in the in in the rearview mirror, right? But trying to win Lambay, actually, that's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, trying to win Hamburg, San Sebastian, you know, something like that. But you know, as a rider, very early on, the Tour Down Under, which you are now race director of, started, and we we're like, wait, we're going to go all the way to Australia to do a race. But you were basically a ambassador for that race from the start when you were still a rider. Yeah. Tell us some of the tricks that you used to get guys to go down there, especially in the early days when it was first starting out. Yeah, it's a good point, Bobby. I mean, um, you know, obviously being an Adelaide born myself and Mike Turter, when he created the idea and and kind of, I thought he was joking at the start of every year, I'd catch up with him and say, Stu, I'm going to bring him, you know, I'm going to have a stage race in Adelaide. I'm going to bring, bring Europe to Adelaide and kind of laugh it off and, go back to Europe for 10 months um you know come home December January and and you know one year he actually said we're going to go ahead with it and I want you to be the ambassador okay no worries uh you know again I've only been having training camps in Po for about 80 years um sure I'm sure you know I'm sure I'll be happy to come to Adelaide um so it was a real a real game changer uh Roger didn't do it the first year but he well I think yeah, it took a little bit of negotiating and, and a lot of convincing. Um, but no, we did go down to the first year in 99 and, and I promised him what well, shook his hand and said, I'll win. Um, and luckily that came true. Uh, but yeah, look, we used to basically come home. I think Telecom came down, home Jack and Jones. There's a couple of other teams, AG2R. Um, I think they saw an opportunity. You know, there, there was a market down there. The sun was shining we used to do some crazy training kilometers in the build-up. Um, you know, the weather really turned it on. So instead of going to a training camp and, you know, riding in freezing conditions like we used to do in Po, um, why wouldn't you go to Australia um, and train? So it only took one tour down under, really. And then once those images and those riders came back and, you know, you had all the French guys and the, the Belgians coming into Grand Prix, Marseillaise and Classic Haribo, and then this group of Australian guys coming back tan. Uh, and, you know, I think I won Haribo a few years in a row just because of the form you bring back with you, you know. And and, and then um, Eric Sarbel and Stefan Vestman, quite a few of those guys used to uh, come down in at the start of December, actually, and spend a whole month before the Tour Down Under training. And then Zabel won how many Milan San Remos in a row? You know, so people very quickly went, yeah, right, what's he doing different? You know, oh, that's right, he's doing 1,200 kilometers a week in in South Australia. Um, so it didn't take a lot of convincing. You know, people were seeing the results. Um, that if you came down and you did your, your big block of training, followed it up with some great racing, it's also good for the morale, right? I mean, you know, you instead of being on a training camp, you're, Got crowds of people, Australians, all flying over. There's a cracking race. You'll stay at the Hilton Hotel right in the CBD. You got a big tour down under Team Village, which, um, you know, the guys, once they land in Adelaide, 
you don't leave the hotel. Um, so you're staying in a nice five-star hotel in the centre, you know, 10-minute tram stop and you're down at Glenelg having ice cream on the beach at night. Look, at the end of the day, as we know, you want to train, but you also want to feel good. And I think the good sensations, the little bit of a rock star kind of feeling and welcome that you get in Adelaide, um, you know, it does a lot for that co- the confidence. Um, and that confidence, you carry on to the next race. And as we know, any sport, it's all about confidence. And once you get on that winning, winning role, it can carry you the whole way through the season. Um, so for me personally, it was really important to start tour down under and 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 at least get a good result. I'd, I'd always try and win, of course, but it didn't always happen. Um, but I wanted to come to Europe feeling good, you know, like yeah, I've done the hard work. Now I'm ready to rip into the classics. Um, so it was a really really important piece of my puzzle, and it was the same for a lot of the guys. A lot of the classics guys, classics, I'm talking uh, Flanders, Roubaix used to come down to the TDU for that um, for that specific period. Well, and to make it more clear to our um, listeners, um, you stayed the entire week in the same hotel. The longest transfer is like an hour. Mostly you can ride either to the stage on the bike or back from the stage finish to your hotel. It's like a 10-minute, 15-minute bike ride. Um, the the, 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 the uh, um, service for bikes... There's a big, huge tent right, also right across the street from the hotel. So for the mechanics, you don't have to pack the truck every night. They put up mm. the tent. They can work ten days in the same tent. You walk across the street. So just super easy and convenient. Just lovely for everyone. That's why people loved it so much. And now, Stewie, you're the director of all of that. You didn't have to change too much, right? It was already yeah. a winning recipe. What were the little yeah. tweaks and you things you changed there? Yeah, look, it's been it's a dream come true for me. Obviously, um, for me to take over the reins from Mike Turter, who did an incredible job creating and then building and delivering such a great event. But you know, without the support of the South Australian government and the South Australian Tourism Commission, you know, we wouldn't have an event. It's the only race in the world which is owned and run by a government organisation, and 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 you can see that we just don't leave any detail unturned. We want to make sure from the moment. Guys step off their Singapore Airlines plane until the moment they get to the Hilton and they're gone again. That we we take care of things that most race organisers don't. You know, there's fridges full of drinks. There's obviously the tour down under village. There's um, an expo next door. The sun's normally shining. You know, the drinks are flowing. The whole the whole of Australia's in their summer holidays. Um, so it's just a really good vibe. It's just a great time to be in. Adelaide in South Australia and we have got that you know I think over we're coming up to the 24th edition next year um yeah I'm fortunate enough to be um you know the race director now which for me is a massive honor and a huge privilege to be able to design stages where I grew up training you know I know every little speed bump and nook and cranny in the hills and the beaches and to be able to kind of design design the race and and work with the team I've got back home who are just next level it's just the team there just go beyond above and beyond for everybody and everyone um from the mechanics to the swanniers to the to every person the staff i mean um you know we really try and have a lot of pride in in delivering the best possible event we can we take a lot of care and 
Obviously, safety is our number one priority. We've got great support from the police, which is very unique and rare around the world. The police absolutely love um, working on the tour down. I think they wish it went for three weeks um, because it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's certainly challenging, um, but we're also working really hard now with the women's. You know, we're a women's world tour status. Um, so working really hard with Nettie Edmondson and Carly Taylor, the two assistant women directors on, and again, delivering the best women's event possible. And we, it's not a job. It, it's, it's a passion. It's, we love it. You know, you're just getting out there and, and doing what we'd love and in the world, which we all love. So for me, it's almost pinch myself, um, you know, to be able to leave home, uh, which, you know, I spent 20 years living in Europe, which was tough, you know, spending 10 months a year away from your family be able to now live back in Adelaide, uh, working on the tour down under and, and kind of welcoming everyone down each January and uh, showcasing our state, um, you know, our wine, our beaches, our food. It's, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. So um, as you know, you've been there many times yourself and Bobby, you were there in those early years as well. Um, you know, the only thing that's changed really is the quality of the field. <laughs> um, when, it, when I wanted, everyone was coming down on holiday. Um, and now, you know, with the world tour points, everyone's uh, primed and fit and, and, and on fire already. Because as we know now, especially with this new UCI relegation elevation system in place, every point counts. So teams are coming down, taking it serious. Uh, you know, there's not too many guys, um, you know, walking around down on the beaches after stages. They're all doing their re- recovery and ice baths. And, uh, you know, they're a lot more professional these days, but there's a lot more at stake. But being an, an ex-rider and being an ambassador and then all of a sudden becoming a race director, let, let's face it, we complain a lot. I mean, <laughs> things aren't exactly perfect. You hear of them. Now you have to take on a different role, almost like a, a politician, probably saying like, yeah, you're probably right. But um, what have you had to learn after retiring and now becoming a, a race director about dealing with those people that complain a lot because we do <laughs> do that a little bit too much. Yeah, sure. very good point, uh, Bobby. And yeah, I think every rider should have to do like some kind of work experience in a race organization just to see the magnitude of work that goes on behind the scenes. Well, I had no idea. You know, none of us have any idea um, of working with councils with governments road closures police you know it it is endless Uh, delivering a bike race for us safety is paramount right so it doesn't matter if it's a local you know when we in the two years of COVID we ran a Santos festival of cycling because we couldn't obviously fly in the international airports were closed so we ran a domestic race for, for the national road series just for Australian domestic teams the work that went into that was the equivalent of what went into the, the international world tour race. There was no, there's no difference. Um, just, you know, the teams were the only difference. The, the level of, um, I guess, safety protocols uh, all across the board is, is exactly the same, whether or not we're delivering a domestic race or an international tour down under. So um, look, I'd be here for hours if I, if I told you kind of what it was like really, um, it, but that's what makes the team that you're working with so critical. 
And that's where I'm so lucky because I have a whole office behind me of people that are working on it day in, day out, all year round. Um, and yes, it's great fun to deliver a bike race, but we want to make sure it's the safest, the best, and the most liked race in the world. And it just takes a lot of work. But um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes, which I'll definitely say, I actually think it was easier riding. Like, you know, you train, I mean, that's what you're paid to do, right? You, you're, you're a paid professional athlete. You woke up in the morning, you had coffee, you had toast, put your bike shoes on, you went out and smashed yourself, you came home, you had a massage. All you got to really worry about is what time's dinner. And then, you know, you do it again. Um, this the race director gig. Um, it doesn't stop, and and it does the phone doesn't stop either. The first time you wake up in the morning until until you choose to turn it off at night, um, issues uh, arise, um, and you know normally no one rings through to tell you what a great job you're doing and how beautiful is the weather. Uh, normally the phone rings. There's a problem. So yeah, you know it's uh, putting out spot fires pretty much for the for the whole. For the whole tour, um, and the best part is once you drop the flag and the riders actually start racing, because that's when you know for those moments that there's not an accident or there's not a car broken down or it's not a branch or it's not a protester or it's not something else, um, you know you get to actually sit back and watch the riders perform, and you know all the work that's gone into a beautiful big stage that you're delivering to the world tour teams, you actually get to see the players play and. And uh, that's definitely the highlight. So now, easier question for you, Stewie. Uh, you took over for Mike Turner, right? Now that he's retired, is he actually smiling a little more? <laughs> is he a little more relaxed, or is he still the good boy, Mike Turner, as we know him? No, Mike's Mike's smiling. I caught up with him actually. Um, uh, this is a bit of a name drop for you, but I caught up with him at Eddie Merckx's house uh, when I was over for the classic. So I'd organised to catch up and have a coffee with Eddie and and. And no joke, Eddie says, uh, why don't you come on Tuesday? Mike Turner's coming Tuesday. <laughs> He's got to be joking. So um, I went a little bit early. I didn't tell Mike that, but I went about an hour early and, and just had a bit of one-on-one uh, -on -one time with Eddie. And then, um, yeah, it was pretty funny, actually. You're sitting there with the two, uh, well, one past, one current race directors of the tour down under, just sitting there having a coffee and a chat with Eddie Mertz. Again, it's a very surreal moment. But again, it's those opportunities which cycling has brought to us. You know, the fact that, um, you know, you get to, uh, A, just have contact with Eddie and, and for him to invite me around, I wasn't going to say no to that. So, you know, cycling has been one hell of a journey, but it's the people, the places, um, you know, the relationships which you build over time um, makes it very special. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, we're very lucky, aren't we, to be able to... Um, do what we've done and now have to kind of sit back and I don't want to say sit back and take it in but you know certainly the tour down under I'm just thinking how can I what can I do better next year what can I you know innovations um, you know how can I how can I create the most exciting entertaining visually beautiful race that I can that's what I'm thinking of like constantly like even when I've been here in Bilbao I'm thinking about stages in the 25th edition for the TD, TDU um, and it, and you've got to be on the ground and see what they're doing in, at the Tour de France. You've got to be over there seeing what they're doing at Tour of Flanders and the Giro and, you know, constant constant innovations and new technologies and, and, you know, there's so much competition 
for the viewers and the fans out there around the world with sport, you know, everyone wants be you know bash results in twenty minutes. Our kind of our memory span, you know, we want more results quicker. So, you know, cycling is a bit the same. If you flick on a stage and it's a two hundred k flat day, how many how many people are going to actually sit there and watch two hundred kilometer flat day, or are you going to just wander off and mow the lawns, or does Australia probably go to bed? But you know, um, you're dealing with so much competition that uh, you know I'm constantly thinking a as a rider, what would I love to race? B, as a fan, um, you know, what do I want to see? And then also from the from the people sitting at home and from the telephones or, you know, broadcast, entertainment, you know, because at the end of the day, it's, it's tourism, but it's got to be entertaining as well. And, you know, I want the riders to go home each night to the hill and go, man, that was a cool stage, you know, because that's, that's important as well. It's got to, you know, you're trying to please everybody. Yeah, you guys definitely have a unique template for success down there, which I wish you would share with some of the the U.S. promoters because we don't have a world tour race here um, for many of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, a, it's not the biggest sport, but we need to find a way to make it more exciting. And you know, those shorter stages, you know, staying it in one hotel, not big transfers, just that that yeah. tropical kind of feel of Adelaide is is amazing. But what specifically? If, uh, you know, because you guys just released the the 2024 program, you say that you know every speed bump and you want to make these races as um, interesting as possible. What do you have in store for the riders? Anything special for next year? Yeah, look, um, every every tour down under, I'm going to design. It's going to be different, um, and you know, you want to do that. You want to take it, take the race to different communities, uh, different areas, so everyone gets a piece of the pie. Um, and also just not copy and paste what we've we've done before. So it's also a good balance. I mean, we're in January, so we've got to be a little bit careful with how difficult to make stages. Uh, want them fun, want them exciting, want them entertaining, but also don't want to, you know, have the peloton blown to pieces on after a couple of stages and riders, you know, hours behind. It's it's a bit of a balancing act when you're designing um, the stages, but. Uh, I guess for you know for the women's race we've got three absolutely cracking stages. Um, for the first time we've changed the format so the women are racing on the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So they're finishing on the weekend, which they haven't done in the past. They've kind of normally overlapped with the men's race. This is to give the women a real their own focus. Um, and hopefully uh, finishing on the weekend, the the crowd numbers will be will be up. Um, they've got the first time up Wollonga Hill for the women so they've never raced internationally up there so looking forward to that I know the girls are pretty excited about that um, prospect and for the men we've got yeah we've got six great stages but probably the final weekend uh, will probably be the most difficult in in TDU history just from a point of view that we've got Wollonga Hill twice on the Saturday and then a Mount Lofty circuit on the Sunday. So the first four stages are relatively flat. Um, stage two in the Adelaide Hills is a little cracker. You would have loved that one, Yenzi. It's a real short, real steep hill, about 5K to go, which should set for a nice little launch pad. Um, but the rest should be all bunch sprints, so give the sprinters um, time to get out there and show us how fast they can go before a really, really exciting final weekend. And um, now that we talked about so much about your job and all that, how's the family stew? Your father of four, <laughs> correct? And yeah. the youngest one, she's what now, three years old? 
No, just coming up to two. Oh, yeah, yeah. So is it the first time for you that you traveled like that long and she has to stay home? Yeah, this has been a, that was, it was hard to leave, as you know, um, as you get older, um, especially living so far away. It's been really nice to be home. I've really enjoyed, you know, not traveling as much as we, we did when we were riding, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, I love Adelaide. I love being back home and, and watching the kids grow up and, and just being around. Uh, obviously, we missed a huge chunk of that in the early days. But, um, yeah, look, they understand. The kids get it. Uh, obviously, not the youngest doesn't quite yet. She's at the airport probably thinking, uh, you know, dad will walk back in the door. So, no, this is a big chunk of time to be away. Um, it's just over a month, this trip. So, look, it, you know, I love this job. It's it's great to come back to the Tour de France. As I said, the Tour de France and the Olympics um, have been a really, really massive part of my life. Uh, you know, I lived in France for 20 years. So to have the opportunity to come back here um, and, and you know, get around my old world and, and bring people back in, look, it still makes me smile. So I wouldn't be here if I didn't want a daughter or I didn't like it. Um, we've got a really special thing going on with Moomoo Cycling and um, you know, we've got some, we've got a great three weeks ahead of us. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, I whack on my tour down under hat and, you know, I get to reconnect with the teams again, you know, the, the women's and the men's teams and talk about tour down under 2024. Um, and that was really important that we released that and announced the stages before I jumped on the plane to come over here so that, you know, uh, we've got something to talk about because I guarantee you the first thing everyone's going to want to talk about from, you know, the world tour is, what, you know, what's this stage like? What, what's this stage like, you know? So it's good to be able to have all the stages presented and and, um, and look forward to welcoming everyone back down in 2024. Well, Stewie, we've taken up enough of your time. I know you have some some clients to attend to, but do me one favor because this is one of my biggest regrets. You know, we were always so... I was so scared about walking around that I stayed in a hotel where I looked out my window and I could see the Guggenheim Museum there in Bilbao. <laughs> and I never once stepped foot in there. So go for a little walk about over to the... To I did the, it yesterday. <laughs> did you? All right. All right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we got to get those young kids to realize that we do, we are blessed to be able to travel the world. We, The lifestyle that we have is pretty special. The places that we get to see, the people that we get to meet. Um, so I'm glad that you took that opportunity. Thank you so much today for coming on Bobby and Jens and good luck to you and Moomoo Cycling and the Tour Down Under in, in the future. I really appreciate your time guys and thanks for the invitation. Um, yeah, look, uh, normally run into Jens each year we've been over here, um, commentary, but I know you're, uh, down in Munich, Munich doing your stuff for Eurosport. Um, yeah, look, now real pleasure to chat. Great to catch up as always. And yeah, look forward to uh, seeing you guys again Monday and having a coffee. Well, Jens, that, that was that was great. I mean, the one thing I have to realize is, okay, we are getting older. Stewie's going to turn 50 here pretty soon. But, you know, he's just done so much for the sport of cycling after he retired. Yes, it is great to see that um, in his hometown, the biggest race in the Southern Hemisphere, and he is the race director of it. It is absolutely great to see. And um, I'm really impressed how grown up he is, right? That he, oh, I'm already planning on stages on 2025. And, you know, um, 
that he's organized, keeps the data straight and all that. It's it's pretty cool to see. And he's the right man for it. He, you know, he is still enough of a bike racer to go, yes, I know what the riders feel like, but he's also far enough away from the peloton go, I also know what the public wants and what the TV and, this, and the, uh, the sponsors want. So he's the right man in the right place. I'm so glad he got the chance to do that job. And, you know, some people at, of his stature could just phone it in, but, you know, hit the passion and the attention to detail and the fact that, you know, putting a big emphasis on the women's tour down under as well. Um, that can't be easy. I mean, there's so many things and him mentioning his phone blowing up and just putting out those little fires all day long must be tough, must be tough. I mean, there's a lot of us ex-pro cyclists that aren't that involved. We still love the sport, but man, he is in the trenches, isn't he? Absolutely, he is. And I believe when it all comes to finalize all the details, I don't think the day has enough hours for him to fit everything in, you know, meetings with sponsors, with the TV, media, with, you know, official government, uh, the city mayor of Adelaide, the governor of the state of South Australia, they all have to agree, right? Meeting with the police forces, uh, the firefighters and all that. So I think um, when it all comes to the final conclusions, um, I think he is really stressed out and doesn't have a lot of time for the family, but it all comes out as a great event. Yep, absolutely. Miss Ruman with old Stewie, hanging out in the bus with old Stewie, listening to his, uh, let's just say, pretty special playlist of, of songs that we used to listen to in the old team camping car. Yes, absolutely. And I still miss the times after the race is done and we can relax a little bit. Stewie can drink a beer quicker than a fish can drink water. It is absolutely impressive to eyewitness that. Yeah, we, we can't uh, divulge all details. Uh, we're going to have to cut that part out. <laughs> Alrighty, we do that. Well, that's all our time for this week. Huge thanks for Stewie or Stuart O'Grady or Mr. Stuart O'Grady for being our guest. Thank you all for listening. Please don't forget to give us a five-star review and share us with your friends. The show was a Velo production in association with Shock Giraffe. The producer was Mark Payne, and this episode was edited by Kirk Warner. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Bobby and Jens, and share your cycling stories with us.